0: Today's sermon concerns Joseph's calling within God's design to rescue Israel and the world. And, I have to say, I relate a lot to Joseph. As some of you know, until a few months ago, I've taken care of my kids full-time for the last five years, and to a lesser degree, I'm still the point parent for all three of my small children. Not once during my schooling, certainly not during my master's in the early years of my doctoral studies, did I consider myself to have a calling to... Domesticity, Scholarship? Yes. Ministry in the church? Yes. Even fatherhood? Yes. Being home during almost all my waking hours, taking care of three little monsters from my late 20s to early 30s? Nope. Now, after my marriage to Jody, there's been no greater joy in my life than raising these kids. Um, and by the way, my favorite parenting book is All Joy and No Fun, The Paradox of Modern Parenting. Very good. <laughs> And it's been hard, nonetheless. Now, I want to be clear, all else equal, I think moms have it the hardest by far. Society places almost all the burden of child-rearing and running the household on the mother. Soci- if something goes wrong, the mother almost always bears the blame. Does your preschool daughter go to school with knots in her hair? True story. Why didn't her mom brush it or put it up? Do the kids eat fast food four nights a week? Why can't mom get it together and make healthy meals for her kids every night? And that's not to mention the extremes their own bodies go through to bear children in the first place. And it fails to mention the great sacrifice that working moms make to allow dad to stay home with the kids. So mothers get the rawest end of the deal. Even so, society's lower expectations for dads not only hurts moms by placing impossible demands on them, it makes full-time parenting a challenging and isolating affair for fathers. There are well-developed support structures for moms, which in many areas are practically non-existent for dads. Asking moms at the playground for their phone numbers so we can get the kids together again sometime is, well, let's say problematic. (laughs) We know to pay lip service to how high a calling child-rearing is for moms. For dads, it is often looked on as a failure to accomplish something else. And it's not exactly uplifting for, pe- for, um, for people to praise you for, and I quote, "...being so great with those children." <laughs> Which means, wow, you're not a bumbling oaf who may or may not keep the kids alive until mom gets home. <laughs> Thanks. But I believe that for the last five years, I would not have been obeying God by doing anything else. And that's not a bad nutshell definition for God's calling on our lives, or, in other words, what it means to live faithfully in a given situation. It's something you carry out by doing, and doing anything else would not be rendering full service to God. Which brings us to Joseph. Now, Joseph has only two things to do, according to the announcement by the angel. Take Mary as his wife, Name the boy Jesus. Obedience is usually far less complicated, but also much harder than we imagine. The angel is more or less announcing to Joseph that he will live a life of obscurity. He is destined to become a no-name guy in a no-name town, Galilee, or Nazareth in Galilee. By obeying the angel, Joseph will almost certainly bear public shame if others discover that the boy is Mary's son and not his. The people of the ancient Greco-Roman world knew exactly the same things we do about how babies are made. Jesus had to be Joseph's son or else he was the son of some other man. There are no other options. The Holy Spirit explanation would just make Joseph a laughingstock. And we know from other ancient sources that rumors did indeed spread far and wide about Mary's supposed infidelity to Joseph, such as a legend reported in the works of Origen and in the Talmud, a Jewish work. By the late second century, a story was circulating among Jews, Greeks, and Romans that Jesus' birth was the result of an affair, an affair between Mary and a Roman soldier named Pantera. On the one hand, no modern historian Um, Christian or non-Christian, deems this story to be plausible in a historical sense. But at the same time, isn't that legend easier to believe than the actual truth? The only explanation that Joseph could offer the busybodies of Galilee? Namely, that he had a dream about an angel who told him, hey, it's all good, Mary's pregnant from the Holy Spirit. All that to say... Joseph is being called to be a man who either A, keeps a cosmic secret hidden from the world, either by keeping his mouth shut and or lying about it, or B, endures the spread of rumors like the one we just discussed. These are generally not the kinds of vocation we expect to discover when we pray to God for discernment. All right, now I wanna see a show of hands. How many of you have seen an icon or a painting or some other image Of Joseph holding the baby. (laughs) Not even Morgan. (laughs) I rest my case. Now in one way this is totally understandable. God chooses the humblest, the lowest people to serve the most central roles in his sovereign plan and Mary is certainly much more vulnerable and more likely to suffer in this arrangement. If Joseph did divorce her quietly, her status as a young, pregnant, husbandless woman would mean pretty much a social death for her. And if nobody steps in and takes care of her and support her, perhaps also a literal death. But after the fact, Mary is rightfully regarded in the church's tradition as the most esteemed human being after Jesus. So let's set that aside and assume for a moment that Joseph figured out how to square his family status with his community's expectations. Joseph's role in God's plan seems to be far behind the role of his wife-to-be. Mary gets to bear the Son of God, the Savior of the world. She is mother of Emmanuel, God with us. Mary is blessed that her DNA gets to be shared with Israel's Savior, with the world's Savior, So in a way, her fiancé is just along for the ride. Once again, Joseph's vocation appears to be a call to relative obscurity. So what should we expect God to announce to us, and how should we respond? We must receive signs, dreams, and apparitions, like angels, which are all marvelous gifts from God, don't get me wrong, with thanksgiving and with caution, especially when we're think we're being called to the more glorious things in life. A close friend of mine was dead sure for years that he was destined to end up with a woman he saw in a dream who appeared to him as an angel. It so happened that he found her really attractive and loved to do the exact same things he did. Well, it turns out that pursuit was a dead end in his life, and his wife of 11 years now had absolutely nothing to do with that vision we are predisposed to see signs that God is calling us to pursuits that coincidentally take us closer into proximity of wealth, power, beauty, and renown. Think about it. Who really wants to be the stepdad of the Messiah? Wouldn't you much rather be the Messiah? Wouldn't we, in our heart of hearts, Rather, actually assume the role of savior? I take that to be the reason for the immense popularity of superhero movies, by the way. We get to vicariously live out our savior complexes via the figures on the screen. And yet, all that said, look at how simple it is to do the will of God. All Joseph has to do is carry on with plans he already made. Could you imagine seeing an angel, and you get the anticlimactic revelation that... Yep, go ahead and marry your fiancé. By definition, someone you were already planning to marry. In that regard, Joseph has a lot in common with Abraham. When God tells him in Genesis 12 to leave the land of his fathers and go to a place where God would show him, it's already been stated in Genesis 11 that Abraham was already on his way to that very place. Keep on keeping on, Abe. That's the message he gets. He gets. The faith that leads Abraham to lead him to go is of immense consequence in the plan of God, but to human eyes, it's a pretty mundane decision. So it is with Joseph. The good news is not that the seemingly humble and low person is actually really important. As true as that may be, it's that the seemingly low person is closest to God precisely in his or her lowness. And so, my final appeal to you today is to consider what it means for Joseph to be told in that appearance from the angel that what he's just heard is a fulfillment of what the prophet wrote. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name will be called Emmanuel. That is, God with us. Some of us might have preferred for God's son to lift us up in this world, or alternatively lift us up out of this world not to be with us in the world. But if with us is where God dwells, isn't it the best place for us to be right here where the Son of God lives? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice to come together to praise you on this Gaudete Sunday, a day of rejoicing. And we rejoice that you have chosen to dwell with us human beings, something you did not have to do. And we pray, God, that you create in us desires not to chase after higher callings, but the calling to be your son's disciple. We pray that you teach us this way of incarnation, this way of taking on flesh, of going lower so that we may become closer to your son and in that way lift us up. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.